Welcome to the Low Rates High Returns podcast where we'll uncover the timeless investment principles so you can escape the rat race, earn passive income and create lasting wealth. I'm Pete Wargent, investor and financial coach and I'm joined by Stephen Moriarty, private investor and the co-author of our new book, Low Rates High Returns. In each episode of this podcast, we talk about the crucial concepts around managing your own money, how to invest, when to invest and the key lessons we've learned along the way about generating passive income. The things we discuss in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice, and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Enjoy the show. We're always talking about investing, and we understand that is why so many folks follow us. But we do like to broaden things out and keep life interesting, so we're going to do a mini-series on the 4Fs model for life. Fun, fitness, finance and philosophy. Money is a means to an end for many of us, and while it can help to express who we are, we think at some point all of us should take a look at what makes for a successful life, whether that's as a single person, a parent, a mentor or simply a student of life. So we hope you enjoy this series. It's the 4Fs model for life. Fun Fitness, Finance and Philosophy with me, Pete Wargent and Stephen Moriarty. Cheers. G'day, welcome to the Low Rates, High Returns podcast with me, Pete Wargent. I'm here with Stephen Moriarty as always. G'day, Steve. How are you, mate? I'm really good, thank you. So today it is the next session in our mini-series on the four Fs, Fun Fitness, Finance and Philosophy. And today, Steve we're talking about finance. So we should know a thing or two about finance or otherwise we're in the wrong game. I guess. Yeah, we're picking it up as we go. <laughs> yeah. So I think an important distinction to make at the outset is we obviously talk a lot in this podcast about investing, but finance is a bit broader than that. And um, to illustrate what I mean, take the example of two people, uh, one person who makes maybe six or 8% per annum over 60 years, and then another person who maybe makes, I don't know, 1,000% in a year and then spaffs the lot on cars and holidays. And obviously, the person who consistently achieves results ends up in a lot better place. So that's a good example, I think, Steve, of why finance is distinct from investing, because it's a bit how you manage your whole financial life and not just the investing part. Yeah, I think so. Um, I was just thinking a lot of Bitcoiners are going fig- to figure that out real quick. Yeah, well, yes, it's a good point, you know, uh, because the returns have been spectacular historically, but that doesn't necessarily translate to future returns. And as we know, the volatility can have a drag effect. But also, if you're late to the party, you don't necessarily get those uh, thousand percent returns. You're the person that's holding the bag. So I think um, I'll just um, kick off with a, a brief anecdote and then we can go through. Uh, the eight characteristics. Um, so just uh, quickly, they are balance, distributions, discipline, static or dynamic, thought, curiosity, persistence and planning. So those are the eight characteristics that flow across all of the, the four Fs, fun, fitness, finance and philosophy. So we'll, we'll consider each of those and how they relate to finance. So just thinking back a little bit, um, in 1994 in the UK, uh, there was a company called Camelot that got a state-sponsored national lottery, which was hugely popular at the time. I, I had just left school and 
I was actually working in a timber factory or a timber yard at the time. And there's probably 50 employees and maybe 49 of them were in this uh, lottery syndicate. And like a lot of people, I didn't think we had a hope in hell of winning the damn thing, but I just couldn't bear the thought of them winning, <laughs> you know, winning the lottery and jetting off to uh, Barbados to drink uh, cans of Red Stripe or whatever uh, they would have done with it. So like everybody else, I joined in, which I guess in itself is an in- interesting insight into the, the fear of, missing out um but the basic idea behind the lottery was uh, i guess 45 percent of the money was paid out as prizes and you had 180 days to claim and, and some of the uh, prizes were absolutely huge i mean there was one ticket that was um 64 million pounds that, was, that went unclaimed it was it was bought in oh, a town really? i think called stevenage or hitchin somewhere down there and uh, no, nobody ever came forward so uh, so you mentioned cryptocurrencies and people uh, losing access to <laughs> to money. There's probably a salient lesson in there somewhere. But my point being that um, Camelot and uh, as, uh, people who've studied the results over time have found that uh, 70% of the lottery winners have ended up broke. And it, it would probably feel unkind to mention any specific examples because there have been so many. Uh, but uh, in, in the US, uh, you know, this is by no means unique to Britain. In the US uh, 2002, there was a guy that won a construction worker, won $113 million. And through a combination of bad investments, bad spending, I think at one stage he even got robbed, which is another thing for the crypto uh, people to watch out for. Mm. And a bit of bad luck as well. Uh, He was completely broke. He'd spaffed a lot by 2007. So I suppose this is why uh, investing and finance are not just the same thing. Finance is a lot broader and it's a bit about how you manage your whole financial life. Yeah, I think it's the important part and what you and I often talk about, Pete, and, and what we're trying to get across to people is if you've got enough money to retire or to to then do what you want to do, you generally need to bring those three other Fs into it because they're the, they're the sort of, I think the four Fs is the the base of life, if I can put it to you that way, like we discussed in the original podcast, right, which was, look, these are the four fields that you really need to have a think about if you're going to have a balanced life. What we've done probably for, you know, the last 2,000 years is we've spent most of our time on the first one. And I was just thinking today, you know, I was uh, reading through my Twitter feed and all of the stuff, all of these memes and a lot of the stuff that comes out of, you know, what they call FinTwit, which is finance Twitter, is always about how you make money or, you know, how you achieve money by building a company and stuff. It just strikes me as interesting because that it just shows you that finance is really the sort of the top priority for everybody. Um, you know, we've talked about it being interlocking circles because if you haven't got your health and, you know, those sorts of things makes finance really hard. We did say that finance is probably the top one, if I can put it that way. But the question and the first characteristic is, for my mind, is about the balance. And what I'm really trying to say there is, when do you get to, where do you say, okay, I've got enough? It's a measure that's sort of fraught with uncertainty because you never really know what's going to happen in the future. But what you try to do is say, let me get more than enough than I think I'll need. And so you've got to look for that balance because, you know, I always get back to Warren Buffett with the point of thinking, God, you know, like he's got more money than God. 
why wouldn't he have given it up? But there's nothing else for him to do, and I'm not saying that's that's uh, good or bad, but it just strikes me that even though he's, you know, deliriously happy, it's it's somewhat in some ways unbalanced. And we read that in the in the biography, you know, where he talked about there was this thing where there was a hint of regret that he didn't spend more time with his kids. And it's always that work in progress or it's always you have to reassess your health, your fun, your fitness and your finances to, you know, to keep it sort of on track, so to speak, but also too because I know if I if I had retired, you know, at 30 or something, it would have been a hell of a lot different to me retiring 20 years later when I think I've got a lot more wisdom now than I didn't have at 30. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, that's why we'll come on to some of these characteristics, the idea of um, static versus dynamic, because we change as people over time, markets change over time. And it's also... Um, it does feed through to this idea of planning being a bit harder than we think it is because you just don't yeah. know what's around the yeah. corner and how life is going to change. So let's go through those eight yeah. characteristics then. In fact, um, you mentioned it already, so that's a good place to start with um, the idea of balance. Um, so obviously balance um, is a characteristic of finance. I mean, in, in investing terms, we know that asset allocation is important. I think yeah, just more generally in finance, it's really a lot of this stuff can be overcomplicated. Really what you need to do is tilt the odds in your favour, uh, leave a bit of room for error because the unexpected can always happen. So we should we shouldn't be surprised when surprises come along, if that's the way to put it. And also just try and make some reasonable assumptions. I think, um, you know, as you said, on social media and in um, a lot of the technical content, there's an awful lot of uh, time and energy directed to some very specific points on, you know, will you know, will interest rates go up by uh, 25 basis points in 18 months' time? And yep. you know, people trying to find a little edge here and there. Whereas most of the time, those predictions are wrong anyway. Mm. And um, arguably, they're missing the bigger picture, which is just to try and have a reasonable approach that gets reasonably good results for the longest period of time. So I think uh, tilting the odds in your favour and just allowing for uh, some room for error is obviously an important part of the balance characteristic. Yeah, I, that's why I really like the Kelly criterion. And the reason is twofold. One, because I, I think it's a superior way to reach your investment goals, and I think that's proven. The second part I like about it is that it deals with imbalance, if I can put it to you that way, by saying there's occasions when the public odds, you know, the horse is running at 10 to 1, but you've got information that, that tells you that it's actually 2 to 1 on. So, you know, you can take advantage of that. And so that because we generally think of balance as 50-50, or, you know, even distribution between whatever the asset classes are, for example. I think balance is more in relation to what the current circumstances offer. And so, for example, if, you know, if, if the Cape ratio was at 10, you wouldn't think, in my, to my way of thinking, you wouldn't go, oh, well, I'll have 50% in stocks and 40% in bonds and 10% in cash. If it was at 10, my idea would be, well, the appropriate balance might be 75% in stocks, 25% in bonds and 5% in cash. So, again, that idea of balance and what you were saying before, Pete, is that it's not static, you know. It's it's not 50-50 or 25, 25, 25, 25. It's basically, again, contextual 
to where the market is or whatever your circumstances are. And that's also in terms of, you know, we talked about this in fitness. Well, you know, is balance doing it every day of the week or is balance doing it two days of the week but doing it really hard on those two days? Um, and so that probably feeds into the, the second one on distributions and the way, you know, that the, all these characteristics interact. Yeah, yeah, good point. I think on the Kelly criterion there, it's worth having a recap and listening to some of our earlier episodes. And I think um, an important point there is that people often say, oh, yeah, but you can't pick the bottom of the market. You know, you, you didn't buy, you know, March 2009 or whatever. But the point being, you don't necessarily need to be, it's not an exact science. You just mm. need to be somewhere around those kind of periods. And that's where you get the big return. So uh, on the, uh, so the second characteristic distributions, there's a couple of different points here to make. One is um, uh, in terms of our, our spending habits. So there are certain things, and th- we, we've got this concept of the three wells. So if you're not familiar, well one is, broadly speaking, the money you spend over the next 12 months. Uh, well two, you sort of two to five-year money, and then well three, your retirement. Well, I think uh, generally speaking, you know, week to week, the money you spend on groceries or going out for breakfast, as I'm planning to today, that kind of uh, expenditure follows a fairly normal distribution, you know, roughly speaking, what it costs to live week to week. But then the stuff in well two, that two to five year money, uh, that can be slightly different. It's it's not such a normal distribution. You can get some hugely uh, lumpy things that come along. You might have a big investment to make, a car upgrade. Uh, You might do a round the world trip. You know, those costs can be a lot uh, lumpier. And therefore, uh, the distribution is not necessarily a flat and then a flat thing. And then when you come into retirement, well, it's it's a combination of the two, really, because you've got your weekly living expenses, but you still might have things like uh, big healthcare costs or other lumpy costs that come along. And I think as well, in terms of distributions or as it relates to finance, um, uh, you already mentioned the idea of tails, you know, tail risk and you know, tails can have a huge influence on the outcomes that you get. And no matter how much you try to make good decisions through your life, you'll probably find that it's the old, uh, bit like the old 80-20 rule, just a few really good decisions yeah. account for overwhelmingly most of the outputs. Certainly I can look back at my journey and I think, well, geez, you know, just a few of those good decisions have accounted for nearly all of the results. Um, they they sometimes talk about this concept about the big rocks in the jar, you know, just get those few big things right and the other bits will work themselves out. So, and we do know that luck uh, plays a role as well and hence why you do get these sort of tails that drive a big part of the outcomes. So, uh, Steve, distributions. Yeah, the um, there's a few points I want to make there. First one that springs to mind is Munger's mental models. Um, and the reason why I often, for a, a lot of the years I I I knew about, you know, Munger and his mental models, but I never really sort of got the idea about it. And then it really sunk in, I think, when I started reading uh, Taleb um, and his first book because uh, he talked about was basically saying you have to think about what the distribution is that you're working with. And so are you working in a normal distribution? Because if you're talking about volcanoes, we know they don't operate in a normal distribution. So if you're making predictions about volcanoes, well, you're going to be wrong. The vice versa, where, you know, if, you, if you're if you talking about men's height, the average men's height or something, then you don't use a power law distribution. 
And it was that was when I really started to understand about the importance of actually saying, well, am I actually using the right tools for the right area? So that was the first point. This, and, and that was where I sort of where we sort of developed the three wells, you know, from that idea of saying, well, hang on, there's a lot of ways you can make money in the stock market, even by using the same eight principles that we talk about. How do I apply those principles over the short term, the medium term and the long term to maximise my investment um, results over the long time? And so, as you know, Pete, well, one, well, one is a, a short term investment approach, but the, it, you can still do it over a long term career. So there's no inconsistencies there. And I think that the last one is probably the, the way Buffett um, that you talked about in terms of distributions is, I think it was Buffett or Graham, it might have been Ben Graham. Ben Graham made most of his money with Geico. And so again, and this is where you and I talk about the risk hierarchy, where we're, we're trying to say to people, look, if you think you're going to get Amazon, that's okay. But that reminds me of, you know, what you're saying about, you know, the chances of you winning the lottery. Look, you could pick Amazon or you could get Apple or you could get Bitcoin at two bucks, you know, but yet those things, you're lucky if you get one a lifetime. Um, and they're not things that you can really say that was all down to my skill. But one thing you can do is say, I know the market operates in a normal distribution over the long term. And so therefore, when I have a really good run for five years, I really need to take a bit of dosh off the table because I know there's, you know, there's left side tail risk with having a big fall. And we know that with markets from, you know, from their history. So I think that that's a really important sort of characteristic, particularly in finance. Yeah, yeah, we'll come on to that concept of getting wealthy versus staying wealthy uh, shortly. So mm. the the third characteristic which runs across uh, all of our 4Fs model is uh, discipline. And I think you've already uh, half covered this off. If you If you don't spend less than you earn, Sooner or later, you're going to get yourself into trouble. That that applies to teenagers starting out. It applies to people much further down their journey. It applies to to companies, uh, not so much for governments. But the the point being, you need to be able to save and make yourself financially unbreakable. Essentially, have a buffer there mm. because the unexpected will come along. I think as well that the discipline point. I think it's difficult to maintain financial discipline. I'll. I'll um, an example I can think of, uh, let's say, for example, I played chess against, I don't know, Gary Kasparov or Magnus Carlsen. I, I could play them 10,000 times, 100,000 times. I'm never going to win. It's just not going to happen. Yes. Uh, whereas uh, finance is probably one of the only uh, sort of spheres where, you know, in theory, you could actually end up in a lot uh, better financial position than an awful lot of people because, as we've already seen uh, with the National Lottery, you know, the other related windfall gains people have a tendency to to blow them um and a bit of discipline if you can maintain that through your financial life you'll end up with a very good end result i think there's definitely this concept of even the people who are so-called the smartest financial brains there's just this sense of never having enough so they're always taking risks even when they don't need to and i think that's where the discipline comes in i think we often see these superficial signs of wealth and you know boats and cars and things but 
you know, really, uh, that's not real financial wealth. I think quite often that's the, the external things that people see. Maintaining discipline and spending less than you earn, that's probably one of the most critical parts of personal finance. Yeah, I, I think so. I would take that one step further. And I think because you see this a lot in particularly financial independence, retire early, you know, um, hunker down, save as much as you can, minimise your costs and save a lot and get rich early, so to speak. I think that the really valuable lesson is to say, yeah, let's be honest, saying don't spend more than you earn is a bit of a is a bit of a no-brainer, right? It's a bit like, <laughs> uh, hello, yeah, that, you know, mum and dad teach you that. The, I think the secret is saying you've got to know how to invest money. How do you compound your money? It's well and good to say I'm saving, you know, 100 bucks or 200 bucks a week, but more importantly, as particularly now, Pete, as you know, if you get to the end of the year and you go, oh, my $10,000 is now worth 10100 because interest rates are, you know, you get 10 cents for every, you know, $1,000, the benefit of learning about finance, and this sounds like a bit of a plug, but the benefit is you can invest that 10000 and make a lot more than you can by saying, oh, I'm just going to continue to save 200 bucks a week. Um, and the, the reason why I say that is because if you have a look at investment returns, stocks over the long term do the best of all, um, closely followed by property, with bonds a long way back and with cash, you know, near basically not even beating inflation. So if you're just intent of going, I'm going to save my money for 40 years, well, you know, best of luck, but you're not going to really end up retiring early. The important part is in, in that I'm saying is that education is the discipline because, as you know, Pete, we've basically got out of the nine types, we've got two types. So there's seven other types, which is a lot of people who generally don't have much of a burning desire to learn about money. And I think that's a really bad position to be in. It, it, saving is a good start. I'm not arguing about that. But I, I still think you've got to say to yourself, okay, how do I actually do better than saving? Yeah, for sure. So spend less than you earn, invest the difference, yes. reinvest the gains, and then protect your wealth. If you don't yeah. do those four steps, then all the discipline in the world ain't going to help that much. So yes, good point, Stephen. So fourth characteristic, static versus dynamic. I think we already sort of half mentioned this. Mm. I think one of the challenges with personal finance is, you know, I think back to my 19-year-old self. I mean, there's there's practically no amount of money that I couldn't have spent because I had a wish list of things <laughs> that I would have loved to buy, you know, from uh, Lamborghinis through to uh, exotic holidays. Um, you change as a person over time. So that that is one of the reasons that you need a somewhat dynamic approach. But as you already mentioned, markets change over time mm. there are times when it's you know it's a great time to be in stocks and you know, the, the the expected returns are in the mid-teens you know there's there's amazing times to invest yeah. and less good times i mean it's been a challenging period i think really the only uh, no-brainer that we picked uh, last year was uh, was just in the oil, oil sector yeah. and i say the oil yeah the oil price has now doubled uh, since the lows and uh, there's still plenty of upside there so you know that there are opportunities that come along and markets change over time uh, so th that is um, why you need a dynamic approach I think the other thing as well is that as you go through life there is this concept of getting wealthy versus staying wealthy and as you've said in a previous podcast you only need to get rich once you mentioned Charlie Munger there you know but huge 
you know, huge returns from one investment. And then it's really just a point of doing nothing stupid from that point on, which is, I think, a combination of uh, maintaining financial discipline and also just looking out for the potential risks on the horizon. Uh, so I think the, the static versus dynamic characteristic applies in those ways, Steve. Yeah, yeah. I think you've pretty well covered it. So I was just thinking, like Charlie Munger at Berkshire's meeting, I'll just go, yes, nothing to add. <laughs> yeah, it would be nice to be in Charlie's position, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, so the, the, the fifth characteristic is uh, thought. Um, so, I mean, you know, finance can be a very complicated uh, sector if you want it to be. Um, you know, a lot of the stuff you read, I mean, it, even uh, for me as somebody who's studied finance for 20 plus years, I, I, I still read stuff from time to time and I've got absolutely no idea what's going on when they throw in some of the the equations. And that even applies to uh, the Kelly Criterion papers. You, you see some of the uh, the studies on um, distributions and so on, and you, you're working through the uh, the formulae, and you think, gee, where's this stuff? Uh, it seems very complicated. Uh, but the reality is an awful lot of this stuff can be noise. And mm. if you've got a simple plan and some simple indicators uh, you can use, I think uh, you'll you'll end up doing just fine. Uh, I think as well there's, uh, on the thought characteristic, I think there is sometimes a temptation um, to be for people to be overly pessimistic i think um if you read the media in particular that you know doom and gloom is always around the corner i think it's you know it's, it's certainly right to be cautious uh, but if we do know as you mentioned in the long run uh, the stock market is uh, the uh, the place or the arena where you get mm. the best returns over the long term so i think it is important to maintain that long run optimism as well yeah absolutely i think if you think that i've always sort of pushed this point that not many people think in a sense of saying most of the time we accept what we read rather than thinking. And I I often use this example, you know, of saying, well, talk to the average person in the street or your friends and say to them, you know, do you believe in the greenhouse effect or the global warming? Yes, I do. Okay, explain the science of it. Run, run me through how, you know, how the world is warming and what the impacts are and those sort of things. Most people wouldn't know. Now, I'm not being rude, but simply just pointing out that a lot of the time you accept by default what the general belief is, um, the zeitgeist of the time, you know. So you sort of read all this stuff in the paper and you don't really think about it, you just accept it because you're reading about it all the time. Um, and that's the reason why I think thought is important is because once you apply some logic and particularly with some scepticism then you do start to say oh well hang on is that really true and it can you know let's be honest it can be a bit of a pain in the bum to do that to everything but you get to the point where you build your own mental models knowing what's what for you is the right and wrong aspect and so as you and I often bang on about you know the cake ratio it's one single indicator and yet a lot of people say, oh, yeah, but you've missed it and you'd have missed that. But the fact is, over 30 or 40 years, capers, you know, even if you said, oh, yeah, I underperformed the market by, you know, half a percent using this thing called cape, you know, you'd sort of say, well, I've spent a lifetime in, in the markets and I beat the market by half a percent. You know, do you know what I mean? Like, it's sort of like you can use these heuristics like cape that can save you a lot of pain of talking about fundamental analysis and, you know, balance sheets and, you know, blah, 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 blah. 
And that comes about from just thinking, getting through the complexity and getting to the to the simplicity of whatever field it is, you know, fun, fitness, financial philosophy. Yeah, look, uh, that that's so true as well. Like uh, I've been reading a book on the UK prime ministers and it, it's, uh, it's an interesting thing that, uh, that – People tend to read a book and then go, "All oh, right, that's what happened." Yes, you know, especially with uh, you know history, which is um, very much open to interpretation. And mm. the, the book I've been reading at the moment says, "Well, the general view on I don't know, take uh, Margaret Thatcher. Well, she, uh, you know, she bravely led Britain to the Falklands War and won, and then she was very popular because of the war. Yeah, and then she sold off the council houses, and that was hugely successful. And then you know, she was popular because of dot dot dot." You know, when you actually uh, reread, you know, uh, some of these things, you say, but is it actually true? Is that what happened? Or, you know, were we actually forced into yeah. going to war? And yeah. then, you know, she had to find the resolve during the war period and then may have sold off the council houses, which was great for those people. But what about the affordable housing that was never built in its place? Yeah. And, you know, there's always a revisionism when it comes to history. I think that's true, though. It doesn't matter what you're reading about. You don't, shouldn't necessarily accept uh, the first thing you read as being a uh, fact because uh, there, there are always interpretations. I think that flows into the sixth characteristic anyway, which is um, yeah. curiosity. Mm. I think, um, I mean, curiosity is common to all of the four Fs. I think it's important because, well, for one thing, surprises come along. The past 18 months should have t- uh, taught us that, if nothing else, that um, there will always be surprises that come along. I think it's as, as well um, worth having a consideration of what would you do if money was no object, I think, um, you know, once you've achieved that financial independence or freedom, um, having a level of curiosity about that, and that's where the Kelly wealth goals yeah. that we use, Steve, can be an important thing in our programs. We talk about uh, the Kelly criterion, but also having a wealth goal, because once you've achieved your wealth goal, well, your approach should be different because it should be more focused on uh, maintaining your wealth. Yeah, I think that the idea of curiosity is is quite a, a good one to have because it also allows you to keep an open mind, particularly, as I've sort of said, you know, most people probably think I'm totally stocks. I'm not really that hot on property investing, but that doesn't mean that I haven't, well, first of all, I have done property investing. But secondly, if someone came along and said, you know, here's a really great house in a really great location, you can have it for, you know, 70% of the market price, then I'd be a bit of an idiot if I didn't, you know, look at it further at least. And so I think curiosity allows you to, the main benefit is that open mind, which, as you said, leads into thinking, going, oh, you know, I will read this interpretation of history and see where it matches up with the other interpretations that I've uh, read. So it's a really, really important point to basically, you know, stay curious as you say, that's where the Kelly Wealth Goals can really help you by updating your your beliefs based on what you've read and by staying curious. Yeah, no, it's a good point. In fact, it's, it's somewhat topical because at the moment there's an awful lot of um, stuff going on in the DeFi space. There's um, mm. there's all kinds of new technologies coming along, and I think it's important to stay open minded. But I think it, certainly in my case, I come back to the idea of the Kelly Wealth Goals, and I think well, you know, actually, you know, what I've been doing has been working just fine. And in fact, you know, at my stage in life, as long as I don't do anything stupid, the end result is going to be just fine. So, 
uh, even though I'm open-minded and to some extent curious, I don't want to be drawn away from doing what I have been doing, which has yeah. been working. And uh, I think that that is one of the, the traps of personal finance, of course, uh, looking elsewhere at what other people are doing and thinking, oh, I should, I should get involved in uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. whatever the, the latest fad may be. Look, it, it can be right for some people and wrong for others. And, you know, we're all different. So there's just two more characteristics to cover off, Steve. Uh, persistence and planning. I think persistence is relatively self-explanatory. Yeah. I think you already uh, highlighted one of the key reasons for it, and that is the results from uh, compound growth, if you get it right mm. um, over the long run, can be so spectacular that it's uh, almost seems illogical to the human brain. So uh, I think as well, though, I mean, we will all suffer setbacks along the way and not just financially, just in life as we go through. So I think you can't really say it's any clearer than that. You just have to have a certain level of persistence. And if something doesn't work, um, you know, you just got to learn the lesson and, and move on because, uh, one of the things I've found in uh, coaching now for about 10 years, I don't think anybody's ever come to me and said, oh, well, yeah, Peter, you know, every, I did everything perfectly and everything worked out exactly as expected. You know, yeah. that, that's just not the way <laughs> the real world works. So all you can really do is um, from the persistence characteristic is take the lessons and move forward and uh, just continue to compound your education and your wealth yeah yeah just a, a quick comment yeah persistence really ties in i think with with all of them in the sense of you know being open-minded and stuff but also just saying if if you know if you know that you're on a fairly good formula and this is what i we we talk about with our eight timeless principles you know we know that they work you have to be persistent at applying them you can't um, and that's why I'm a little bit critical of some other types of investing because, you know, people will cherry pick dates and say, my system worked really well between, you know, 2009 and 2015. It's like, yeah, well, that was a bull market. Everything worked in that time. So you've really got to be persistent in two forms. One is finding something that actually works in accordance with reality. And then the other part, which we talk about in our courses, is that emotional stuff of sticking with it when it's not working, no sort of set works 100% of the time perfectly. But the important part is even just recognising that you need to stick with it. And if you do that, you'll be, you know, you'll probably do all right. Yes, uh, exactly right. And uh, so final characteristic um, is planning, which we already covered to, to some degree. I think, um, you know, it's funny, I've been to uh, seminars and events uh, that I've spoken at over the years, and you, you sometimes chat to uh, financial planners, you know, some of them uh, have uh, barely started shaving yet, and others, uh, you know, yeah, it's funny. You, know, you, you talk to some financial planners, and uh, you're thinking, well, you know, without being unkind, financially, they're not in the best nick themselves. You know, haven't got on the housing ladder, you know, uh, struggling to uh, to save and invest, and you think, well, how how can somebody be a financial planner giving advice mm. when the person they're advising is wealthier? But uh, you know, th- I suppose there is a whole industry there. Uh, dedicated to uh, financial advice. I, I think one of the big challenges is, as I already mentioned, uh, you've got to recognise what your own wealth goals are because it's not much use taking uh, advice from somebody who's playing a different game from you yeah. or somebody who's at a different stage in life. Uh, you've got to take into account your own situation. And uh, I think uh, the the real hard thing, and we, we mentioned really, uh, that you've got to save money, but I think the hard thing is that you will change. I think that's the thing as... Um, 
you've highlighted previously, like it's difficult to see when you're younger just how important things like superannuation can be because you, you're like, who cares what happens when I'm yeah. 60? But uh, <laughs> of course, as you get towards 60, it's a bit too late to uh, to make those changes. So I think uh, planning is important, but just uh, make sure that the plan takes into account your situation and your goals. Yeah, I was talking to uh, a, a friend, a mutual friend of ours on Friday um, and talking about you know, having a lot of cash, and he said, look, I'm really comfortable with where I am. And I was thinking one of the um, one of the benefits of, again, Kelly and thinking in Kelly, not, not talking about using the Kelly formula, but thinking in that Kelly framework is, you know, survival. The first point of Kelly is you must survive because you'll be investing over time. The part about planning is exactly like you say, Pete, where you – you, you can plan. There's nothing wrong with planning, but you've got to be flexible, you know, i.e. static versus dynamic, to update it. The ultimate plan is saying, doesn't matter what happens, I've got plenty of money. You know, if I, if I need um, major surgery or if my kids need major surgery, that's done. It's no problem. The cost is not an issue. If I need to fix up my, my fitness, you know, I've got enough money to be able to hire a personal trainer or have someone cook my food and do that sort of thing. So planning is important. So I think, you know, just to summarise it, I think the best thing in the planning space is, yep, do plan, but, you know, the idea is just to get enough money to be able to, you know, take on any of life's vicissitudes. Well, that's a a lovely (laughs) word to finish on, Steve, so thank you. (laughs) Thanks for joining today. So that is the 4Fs model, fun, fitness, finance and philosophy. So next week we will be coming on to a different subject, our top 10 favourites books on finance. That'll be good. Cheers. See you, Pete. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to know more, you can download a free chapter and extra bonuses from our new book, Low Rates, High Returns. Just visit www.lowrateshighreturns.com forward slash book to download your free copy. The things we've discussed in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Stephen and I are both on LinkedIn and Twitter So do reach out and connect with us. And finally, it'd be great if you could subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps others to find the show. Now take care and invest wisely. Cheers. Cheers.